Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoman. I'm Ryan Aber, joined as always by Joe Masato. The Sooners Extra Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. Uh, Joe, we've got to start off with the news of the week, which was uh, the Trey Norwood, uh, o- Oklahoma's versatile uh, junior defensive back uh, who had played corner most of last year, wound up moving to a nickel and some safety late in the season, uh, hurt his knee apparently in Monday's practice after we had uh, the open portion of practice had ended the only open portion of practice that we've had so far. He was out there during that, but uh, it appears that Trey Norwood is going to be out for, for some significant amount of time. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big loss. I mean, when you have a knee injury like that, we, we saw him walk off practice late Tuesday night on crutches um, from all indications, and I think everything we've heard, it's iffy, unclear, whatever word you want to use if Trey Norwood's going to play this season. And he is a guy that, you know, was that solid starter and nickelback going into this season. You've got Trey Brown and Parnell Motley at corner. Trey Norwood played a little bit of corner last year, but I think they were really looking at him to play nickel um, after Buki Radley-Hiles struggled for much of last year. But now Buki, who we will turn to now, looks like that guy who you know, no one benefits from an injury, but he he will definitely have to play more. I would expect. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I I wrote about uh, Buki Radley Hiles in the uh, Thursday Oklahoman that this is a guy who came in with all kinds of hype, and when we've seen you know defensive recruits at OU come in with that hype and uh in recent years at least it hasn't quite panned out like that i mean caleb kelly and and boogie radley hiles are the two most notable uh ones that fall under that umbrella but uh when you struggle as a freshman that's to be expected on some level so let's not write boogie radley hiles off uh just yet i think he's got a chance to to still be a big time contributor there's things about him that don't necessarily fit into Alex Grinch's mold as far as his speed D, the, the size and, and things like that that he wants on the back end. But there's a reason this guy had offers from every program uh, virtually in the country. Yeah, and I mean, even though he is just a true sophomore coming into this year, you know, I, I think it's easy to forget because of the games he was benched in last year, the Texas game and the Big 12 championship, and then uh, the Alabama Orange Bowl. He started 11, all 11 games before that, was, was you know, a key contributor as far as playing time, even as he struggled to really learn the position. 39 tackles, I think the things that stand out, no interceptions. Uh, we, we've been hearing about turnover so much this year. Uh, didn't force any of those. And he, just a guy that, you know, if had he not had the five star expectations, he probably wouldn't have been singled out as much. But when you come in, you know, from IMG, where who have produced so many top guys, you have that five star label. 
he kind of had a swagger about him. You know, first guy running out through the tunnel carrying the sledgehammer and everything. He just sort of failed to live up to those expectations. Yeah, but it seems like he hasn't let the the uh, what transpired at the end of last year get him down. Certainly that confidence doesn't seem to have lagged at all. But also it's not like this, uh, you know, false bravado, I think, from him. He, he acts like a guy who uh, wants to fix the things that went wrong uh, toward the end of last season and feels like he's a good fit for, for what's uh, gone on defensively as far as changes. But uh, with uh, Trey Norwood going down, they're going to need some some big, big playing time from Boogie Radley-Hiles. Yeah, and he's an interesting guy. Just, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk to him too much last year as a true freshman, but even when we talked to him earlier in fall camp, he's he's got all these, like, sort of catchy sayings, and, like, you can still see the confidence, and he was like um, – you know, did not describe last year at all as a disappointment, even though some of the questions sort of focused on that. He seemed to be very much forward looking. Um, I think you would have some guys who would rely on all of their high school successes in, in the face of struggle, but he was like, all of that is behind me. The five star label is behind me. Um, so at least mentally, he seems to be in a pretty good place, or at least he puts on a pretty good show that he is. Yeah, so the Sooners better hope he is because with uh, Trey Norwood going down, that uh, certainly leaves them in a precarious position at uh, Nickelback because there's not a whole lot of other options there. There's uh, Trey Norwood and, and Radley Hiles were the, the two primary guys that were working in that spot. Now they can move somebody over, but considering – the, the, the lack of safety depth, at least experienced safety depth that they have, uh, it's a little dicey situation. In the spring, the two guys that they had going there, in addition to uh, Norwood and Radley Hiles, were uh, Jamal Morris, who's a, a true freshman safety who they really like, but uh, you know not sure how quickly he's going to be able to contribute, and uh, a walk-on, uh, Caleb Murphy, who's a redshirt freshman. Uh, from from uh, Colleyville, Texas. So uh, they might have to shift somebody over and at least get them ready just in case. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm higher on the safeties than I would think. Just just looking at the options that they have. I mean, I, I don't think it would be a shock to see a guy like maybe Justin Broyles shift over and help out at the Nickelback. Um, Patrick Fields is someone we've heard a lot of hype on, so maybe he's a guy that they want to stick at safety. But like, what about like Chance Sylvie or Delarian Turner Yell is perhaps potential possibilities there? Yeah, I think those could be possibilities. You know, Robert Barnes is a guy who's played a pretty fair amount uh, over he's the last now. couple of years. He's healthy. I think his skill set playing both safety and corner could allow him to to step in and play that nickel position and, and be okay there. So. It's going to be really interesting to see and really interesting to hear when we talk to, to Lincoln Riley a little bit later this week and talk to Alex Grinch next week uh, what they plan on, on doing at that spot because it's an important one in the Big 12 to have a, a solid nickel there. And we've seen some pretty good play from the Sooners when they had Stephen Parker there for so long. But uh, since then, it's been a little rough going. And uh, it seemed like Trey Norwood had added a little stability to that spot. Uh, but now that's gone. 
Yeah, and again for Norwood, still waiting to hear anything official on him. We we did ask. I know you spoke to him after practice, and no word yet. So maybe that's something we find out. You know, by the end of the week, or early next week, maybe. Yeah, I, I talked to some people that uh, were close to Norwood, and there still isn't a definitive um, injury. They they fear that it's a, an ACL tear but also they've got to wait until some swelling goes down before they can fully test and, and things like that. But uh, it does look like Trey Norwood is going to be out for, for an extended period of time. Now, not only, though, does it affect the, the nickel spot, and obviously we talked about the safeties, but it also really affects your cornerback depth uh, because of Norwood's versatility. He played uh, mostly corner last year until Radley Hiles got banged up and uh, – you know, sort of got uh, benched there at the end of the season, but they had three guys they felt good about, and now that brings us down to two with uh, Trey Brown and Parnell Motley back there. Yeah, and you know, I, I think those are the obvious guys who are going to start from day one with with Trey Brown and Parnell Motley. Just looking at other options, Jordan Parker's sort of a mystery at this point. I think of where <laughs> exactly he's going to slide yeah, I, in. I think he's he's playing corner right now. Uh, but that'll be interesting to see if he's able to to get up and be one of those guys in that rotation. Now, the freshman probably probably the guy outside of Motley and Brown that's garnering the most attention there right now is Woody Washington, who they uh, they appear to be really really high on the uh, true freshman from Tennessee. Yeah, Washington's one, and then as far as redshirt freshmen go. Miguel Edwards played in four games last year. I think he was one of those guys where he met that threshold of, of still maintaining a year of eligibility, but him playing in four games, to me, any any freshman that plays in four games, the staff likes him probably and wants to see him get some game action, and they also like him so much that you know maybe he's not good enough to contribute for a whole season like you know guys like Deshaun White were last year, but he's good enough to play in four games, and they want to maintain that extra year of eligibility. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting uh, to see if a guy like Starlin Baldwin is is able to to work his way in and uh, find some playing time. Baldwin was a guy who uh, right now is banged up. When we uh, well, he missed all of last year uh, after getting a, in a pre having a preseason injury, but he was a guy that uh, Lincoln Riley talked about before last season as a guy he thought had a real chance to contribute. When we went out to that open portion of practice uh, the other day, Baldwin wasn't dressed out, which uh, they need him on the field uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think it's, with him it's just his you know, early, early career so far has been defined by injury. It seems like every you know, Lincoln Riley is uh, – I think actually doing a better job of telling us at the beginning of every press conference of, you know, who the injury uh, guys are. And Starlin Baldwin, I think, has been named on just about every one of them so far. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there uh, there in the secondary for the Sooners. It'll be a, a big topic for us. We're going to take a break right now. I'm your host, uh, Ryan Aber, alongside Joe Masato from the Oklahoma. And this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber with uh, Joe Masato once again. And uh, Joe, we got to talk Jalen Hurts. I think we should have a, like a dedicated segment a requirement. Every, every week to, to Jalen Hurts. But one of the uh, things we've noticed being out at practice, what, three times uh, so far to this point, we're speaking on the Thursday afternoon, is that Jalen Hurts is the last player to leave the practice field. And a lot of times, really until uh, Tuesday night, I think he was out there with Michael Jones, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the other couple times he's been out there, he's been out there by himself with a staffer uh, and, and been the last player by far yeah. to leave the field. Yeah, it's not not especially been close. I mean, he's we talked about this a little earlier in the last pod, but he's definitely uh, carved out that role of being – uh, we don't we don't know who the first guy in because we we don't get there at the beginning of practice every time. But we do maybe know who we should start getting there at the <laughs> yeah. beginning of practice, which means maybe you should start getting there at the beginning of practice, Joe. <laughs> and then wait for all those hours to see first guy in, last guy out. We do we we can confirm that he is the last guy out. Uh, he's been out there even without coaches or anything. It's funny because. Um, when they walk off the the rugby fields where they've been practicing for fall camp, there's a table set up with some of the trainers, and every guy grabs a little like smoothie on his way out. So those people are all standing there waiting for Jalen Hurts to come off the field so he can get a smoothie. Um, but he's he's made it a point, I guess, to do this. And what I would really like to know is if this is something that he's done his whole career, or if this is like a cramming session after every practice being the new guy. Well, I get the sense uh, that it's a little bit of both. I think hearing from uh, folks down at Alabama that Jalen Hurts was was definitely that get there first, leave last type of guy, but also talking to uh, his teammates at OU, they're saying that this is just, one, who they've come to know as Jalen Hurts, and, and two – that this is sort of what he has to do in order to catch up in a you know a pretty condensed span, seven months. Uh, Ceedee Lamb, uh, actually for the story I'm writing for Friday's Oklahoman, uh, talked to him about it, uh, Jalen Hurts, and and he said he comes in and he never knows never knows enough. For him, it's always what do I have to do on this? What are you doing? He said a guy like that, you can't do nothing but help. Me, I'm going to help him out. Him being so open to me is great on my part. So it seems like that Jalen Hurts' uh, work ethic is certainly raising eyebrows among his teammates and uh, endearing him to them and also the way that he's really embraced uh, guys like C.D. Lamb, who is you know almost certainly going to be his number one target, is uh, going to be beneficial for the Sooners. Yeah, and I think that quote says a lot when you have a graduate transfer who has, um, you know, won a national championship, uh, was 26-2 and two as a starter, and then you've got um, a, a guy who's saying that he comes in and he never knows enough. So I think it's good for OU that, you know, obviously he needs to learn a new system, but he seems very open to learning. And just in our limited interactions with Hertz, it seems like, 
um, I guess from a national media perspective that he was almost like too good to be true, not necessarily on the field, but just the way he composed himself. But so far, I would say he's pretty much <laughs> living up to those expectations. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, you know, watching Jalen Hurts on the practice field, the limited time we have with him, although it's been more than anybody else, just because he's out there when we're actually talking to coaches and stuff, and it's real easy to peer over there at the other field and uh, see what's going on, but also talking to Jalen, the limited times that we have, and his teammates, just uh, this is a different kind of guy. This isn't, you know, Baker Mayfield or, or Kyler Murray, both of whom had uh, certainly uh, very impactful personalities. Jalen Hurts' personality is much, much different. He's much, uh, much more of an old soul. I think uh, Neville Gallimore said that they've bonded over their shared love of 80s and 90s R&B music. They, they like the, uh, gosh, I can't believe I'm saying the old school music when I'm talking about 80s and 90s, but the fact is it is because we're over 20 years old by this point, uh, 30 in, in some cases when you go back to the 80s. So, um but this, this it's a different kind of guy. This isn't uh, this guy doesn't have the the outward swagger that Mayfield and Murray had. It's just sort of a quiet confidence, a, a quiet uh, ability to lead. That's much different from either of those two. Not saying that e- either of the styles is uh, better than the other, but it's just different. It's it's fascinating, like for me to like read and write about these guys' personalities. And I, I wasn't here like you were to cover Baker, but just hearing the stories of all the differences between Baker and, and Kyler, both of them had that swagger, but in very different ways. Baker was much more outward with it. But Kyler, I think we really started to think at the beginning of the season, okay, this guy is very quiet. He's not going to do anything. Then like he was pretty cocky toward the end of the season and sort of a quiet, subdued sort of way. Yeah, it was it was completely different from Baker Mayfield who was just outlandish and in your face with everything, but Kyler Murray was not lacking in confidence and he certainly showed it and showed his personality both on the field with uh, the way he carried himself and also off the field with something you wrote about last year his fashion sense and and things like that and I think also the way that he handled and navigated through the the baseball question was uh, was unique, but uh, this is certainly a unique situation with with Jalen Hurts transferring from one just massive program to another. Um, you know, this is it's pretty unprecedented, and uh, certainly it seems like Hurts is about the best guy to pull it off. Yeah, and I, I just get the sense that you know if we thought. Kyler was quiet I think Hertz is going to be even more quiet I mean part of it I think is coming from Alabama where there's so much attention on you at all times and knowing that you know if you don't say much there's nothing that can really be said about you other than the way you play and it's cliche to say like you know let my play speak for itself but like Jalen Hertz seems to epitomize that yeah there's there's little doubt about that and I wonder and and Joe this sort of veering off into story budgeting territory here. But I mean, I, I, I'd be fascinated to talk to people at Alabama 
especially those that were there when Hertz first arrived and then also folks down at Channel View High and see how this personality came together. Is it something that came together, uh, you know, when Jalen Hurts was really young or is it something that sort of was molded by Nick Saban and the process that he has there? And uh, it'd just be fascinating to, to see the roots and the origins of this old soul guy that, that we see when we talk to him. Yeah, it's it's worth a look, and it's a story that hopefully we will definitely tell soon. But just making a guess, I mean, I, I think it might have started even before Alabama just because I talked to a um, – a reporter who covers Alabama, and he said that no one, you know, everyone sort of had trouble getting in touch with Hertz's family, and, and no one from that side really talked a ton, even though his dad is the head coach at Channel View High. But it just seems like, um, you know, that they, you know, aren't aren't going out of their way to say glowing things about Jalen, that it's just uh, maybe just all pretty quiet. I, I don't know, but I, I think it's definitely something we need to explore. Yeah, it's a, a fascinating topic, but uh, we're going to take another break before coming back for the third and final segment where we uh, take some questions. We're going to debate a couple things, uh, but please be sure to bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com. I appreciate the name of that, but it's really tough to say. RedRiverRivalryRadio.com. For Oklahoma, Texas Week, as we launch a 24-hour, seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating the historic rivalry between the Sooners and Texas. We'll refer to it as Oklahoma, Texas here. We know our buddies down in Austin call it something different, but we look forward to going live October 5th in preparation for the October 12th showdown. I'm Ryan Aber, and this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your cravings, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. Once again, I'm Ryan Aber here with Joe Masato. And uh, Joe, we're going to do some mailbag questions. And uh, most of the stuff that we've got today is is talking about predictions and, and looking toward the season. And we're going to tie this into uh, some of the things that we've got cooking as well. But uh, let's start off with... Uh, who is your newcomer of the year on the Sooners? And let's just let's go ahead and throw out Jalen Hurts because I think everybody oh, man. would say him. You're putting me on the spot because <laughs> Jalen Hurts is the easiest answer uh, to that question by far. Oh, man. Well, one guy that – maybe this is recency bias because I just talked to him, and, and I think that there's a lot of moving parts along that offensive line. But I think R.J. Proctor is an interesting name to throw out as a newcomer of the year. He's a guy that started for a couple of seasons at Virginia, so he's got that experience already. 
Um, I think Bill Biedenboe is probably the best offensive line coach in the country. So if there's anyone that can sort of um, help someone come along and be ready to step in from day one, whether that's starting or not, I think R.J. Proctor is probably going to be – I think he's going to have a role on that offensive line. And uh, I'm – that's a really good choice, and I'm going to stick on the offensive side, and I'm not going to uh, name one of those receivers because I think it's too difficult to separate them out, although I think there's a really good chance that one of those guys winds up playing a really, really big role in this offense. But I'm going to go with uh, junior college running back Ramondre Stevenson. I think we've seen in the past couple of years how quickly running back depth can fade away with injuries as Rodney Anderson has gotten hurt and you know uh, Marcellus Sutton got banged up last year and and on and on and on so you really need to go four at least four deep at that spot to feel really good about yourself and OU has three uh, two that they feel really really good about in Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon and another in TJ Pledger who's sort of a, a change of pace type guy and I think is going to be really successful. But uh, I think Ramondre Stevenson, uh, at six foot zero, 232 pounds, uh, a guy that just had a massive year last year in junior college, rushing for over 2,000 yards on 222 carries, that uh, they're going to need him at some point this year. And I, I think that he's a guy who's got a chance to really break out. Yeah, it sort of reminds me, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong because I I know that we're, I'm going a few years back here with this, but I was I was researching a story and like Dominique Whaley's name popped yeah, up. Yeah, that's actually so maybe I almost brought up his name. Yeah, so, so maybe <laughs> he could be step in. You know, with some injuries. I know Dominique Whaley was a walk on, but junior college guy, so could be some similarities there. Yeah, although I don't think Ramondre Stevenson worked at Subway at any point uh, <laughs> over the last we'll year. Although I figured, found cannot out confirm. <laughs> I found out something interesting, and we're just going to go sort of uh, off on a tangent here. I found out that Chance Sylvie worked at uh, Walmart uh, for a few weeks over the off season, which is interesting it that is a football player had a job during an off season. I think you know there's so much talk about well, you know, football is is their job and and things yeah, like that. But year round, uh, there was a, a three week break there during the summer. And uh, Chance Sylvie took advantage of it with an internship uh, for his uh, the career that he wants to pursue, which is uh, along the lines of criminal justice, and wants to be would like to be an FBI or CIA agent. Um, did some uh, work, and I, I believe it was loss prevention for Walmart. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting, and not to I guess not to give away any story ideas, but it'd be it'd be cool to talk to some guys and find out like. You know, if that's becoming more common or any other off-season jobs that guys might have. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. So that'll be, that'll be uh, something interesting uh, for down the road. But uh, Joe, Barry and I talked about uh, the schedule a little bit. Uh, but uh, let's, let's go back to that a little bit. And uh, what do you think a, uh, the trap game for the Sooners is it seems like every year there's one that sort of you wouldn't think of could jump up and bite you but uh might be one that could give the Sooners some problems yeah I I think there's a couple candidates for this um I know a lot of trap games might come earlier in the season I'm actually going to November 16th at Baylor 
I think because of the hype that Iowa State's getting, and if they if that turns out to be true, uh, OU hosts Iowa State the week before that, so it could be a big game. Week after that is TCU, but at Baylor, I think that's going to be a really improved team. I, I like Matt Rule a lot. Um, they have good quarterback play, so uh, you know at Baylor's given OU some trouble in years past. So I'm going to point to that game again. Yeah, it has. I think that's a good pick. Uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned, that November schedule has a chance to be pretty brutal for the Sooners, as good as the, the first part of the schedule is, as favorable as it is. Although I'm going to go with one of those games from early in the season and, and at the Houston game for a lot of reasons. One, Jalen Hurts' first game there, you know, we saw a couple years ago in uh, Baker Mayfield, a quarterback making his first start uh, for the Sooners. Really uh, had some got off to some uh, got off some shaky ground uh, there uh, and, and struggled. Samaje Piran gets hurt early in that game. I think that this game obviously they don't have like an Ed Oliver type defensive lineman, uh, but with uh, the offensive line turnover with Alex Grinch implementing new things on the defensive side, I think that opener is one to keep an eye on because Houston, even though they fired their coach, is still in very capable hands with Dana Holgerson. Yeah, it's a a tough game to start out with. That's a good pick. And I I think the only thing that might help them a little bit, even though Alex Grinch was not at OU last year, is to face a Dana Holgerson offense that they've seen before and might be familiar with. But – Remains to be seen if you know they're running the same exact stuff, and and um, you know it's not like if you switch those first two games around and had South Dakota first, Houston second. I think you'd feel better about the start of the season, but the way it sets up, uh, no no rest to begin the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I I think that uh, if Houston was second, I would would not think too much of the Houston game. In a lot of ways, not saying that I would pick OU to just roll, but uh, I, I wouldn't put OU on upset watch or anything like that. But the fact that it's the opener certainly uh, puts it in that category. Um, finally, Joe, let's go to some of the uh, historical aspects of this program that uh, we're coming out with our special college football preview section. Uh, here a little bit later in August and want to sort of talk about that a little bit. And uh, I, 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 we've got four categories on our uh, a grid, picks grid that we do. The first one is all-time best player, and I, I think this is one that can uh, serve as a, uh, a debate a little bit more than maybe uh, some of the other ones that we've got listed. Yeah, I think, let's see, you're just looking at our grid. So three of the four of us picked Baker Mayfield. Uh, You are the one outlier, so I'll let you explain that here in a second. But, I mean, maybe I'm letting my my age show a little bit by picking Baker Mayfield. Um, But everyone knows the story. Don't have to get into the, the, the whole story beginning from shows up, surprises Bob Stoops, walks on, turns into a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, But, yeah, so I went with Baker Mayfield, but... Who did you go with? Well, I went with Leroy Selman, and uh, I think that Baker Mayfield is a fantastic choice, and you can certainly uh, more than make the case for Baker Mayfield as the best player in OU history. But to me, uh, the era that Selman was in, 
just the absolute one-man wrecking crew that he was along the defensive line is something that uh, changed those Sooners teams. And they had a lot of great defenders on those teams. But Leroy Selman was heads and shoulders above everybody else. I think that gap between Leroy and, and the other players, not only on that team that were really good, but the other you know players at that position in college football at the time, was what sort of leads me to to pick Leroy Selman and stick with Leroy Selman. Although, like I said, Baker Mayfield's a fantastic choice to finish, what was it, top four in the Heisman Trophy each of his three years as starter. So it's hard to argue with either of those guys, but uh, to have a one-two like that at a program is uh, is pretty good. I don't think, and we're, I'm not going to give anything away here, but I don't think this is going to engender – the amount of debate that the OSU list will engender, especially at the top. But uh, Baker Mayfield versus Leroy Selman for number one is a heck of a battle. It's a good debate, and I think it's interesting because prior to Baker Mayfield, there really was no debate. I mean, you asked any any member of the media, any fan, and I think Leroy Selman was that automatic, who's the best Sooner of all time. Yeah. Now it's not automatic. <laughs> no, which also brings me to this, like – I understand that the tr- the statues are left for, you know, historic head coaches and for Heisman Trophy winners. But to have a statue of, you know, and Billy Vessels and, and Steve Owens and Sam Bradford are all fantastic players, Jason White, but to not have a statue of Leroy Selman is, is pretty incredible. It is, yeah. You know, that's something that, I would expect at this point. I mean, may, maybe something's uh, in the works. Hasn't there been some talk about that? Or Well, uh, South Florida, I believe, just unveiled a statue okay. of Leroy Selman, who was their uh, their athletic director right. uh, for, for a while. But uh, as far as I know, there haven't been any definitive plans in Norman, but uh, that's got to happen at some yeah, point. Yeah, you, there, there's plenty of room. Obviously, you're not putting it, in in Heisman Park, but there's yeah. other places on campus that could have a yeah, statue of Leroy Selman. Whether it's just him or whether it's all three of them, because this collection, you know, Leroy, Dewey, and Lucius um, has got to be certainly the first family of, of yeah. OU football. Yeah, and it's got to be one of the greatest <laughs> trio of family members to ever play the sport. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. So uh, that uh, let's uh, hopefully that'll happen at some point. Uh, we're running a little bit long here, but we want to one more, Joe, all time biggest win for the Sooners. Well, again, not to uh, give away some of the <laughs> the stuff we'll have coming up in the Oklahoma and Far College Football Preview section, but 2000 Florida State that national championship game that was the unanimous pick. And I, and I think in a program that is one of the most winning programs of all time, there's obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of chances, but I think I see that at least again, um, you know, that, that was the first time I really started to pay attention to OU football. And to me, that marked the new era going forward. Um, Bob Stoops leading into Lincoln Riley, everyone still to this day looks back at that 2000 win because though they've played for it since still have not won it since then. Yeah. And I went with that same game. I, you know, I tried to sort of be contrarian. I tried to uh, think about the other games. You know, the the uh, win over Penn State 
uh, in the mid eighties that, that won him a national championship and on and on and on. But the fact is OU has only played for and won one game that was a definitive national championship game. Um, and that was 2000 Florida state. Um, you know, they, they've been in the the national championship game since then and lost, um, haven't made the college football playoff national championship game, but, uh, to me, that's what makes that Florida State win uh, so big. And also the fact that it was the signal that OU was back uh, for, for good. And I know there's a lot of rumbling about, you know, Bob Stoops not being able to win uh, other, other championships. But the fact is there's no program in, in college football that has been as consistent as Oklahoma over the last 20 years. And that really heralded uh, that era. Yeah, and I, and I think now people will look back fondly on that because everyone can say, uh, "Remember when OU had a dominant defense?" And I think that <laughs> the 2000 team and a couple couple years following that were probably some of the most dominant of of this you know you know recent last last few decades of OU football. Yeah, goodness, that defense was good with Torrance Marshall and uh, all of those other guys on it. But we better not talk about that because we'd be here for another hour. <laughs> So uh, we're going to wrap it up. That's uh, that's it for the Sooners Extra Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can uh, reach out to us. The best way is uh, on Twitter, at R-Y-A-B-E-R, or uh, to Joe at? Yeah, at Joe underscore Masato. That's uh, two S's and two T's in Masato. Or email either of us at R-A-B-E-R at Oklahoman.com or at J Masato. Two S's, two T's. That's right. At Oklahoman.com. The Sooners Extra Podcast, as always, is presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Sooners Extra.